I've never seen a diamond in the flesh I cut my teeth on wedding rings that's pretty good. This is the gloom, bringing you weekly interviews with F3 Omaha packs, exploring their F3 experiences and finding those sticky elements that create the glue in the gloom. All right, here we go. So uh, really excited for, for this episode, like all episodes, but uh, especially excited for this man just because the impact he's had on me uh, personally. Uh, lots of runs together. Uh, I feel like he was instrumental in, in uh, helping me hold it together during the, the pandemic uh, and also have just appreciated the way that he, he leads uh, his family as well as in the community. And uh, he's also a physician. Uh, so I don't know, he can, he can clarify for us, um, his true credentials there, but he's also a content creator, uh, and has interviewed a lot of F3 guys, uh, as well. So, um, we'll maybe try to link that in, in show notes for you, but Cataracts, uh, is our guest today. Uh, and man, it's just good to see it. You look good. I know your studio is a little nicer, a little more official than ours. <laughs> we'll get um, you there. We'll get yeah, you there. <laughs> we'll get there. He's also our <laughs> podcast mentor, uh, I feel like. But uh, man, Cataracts, tell us, um, how'd you get into F3? Sort of who EH'd you? What was the first workout like? And yeah. then how'd we get the name Cataracts? Well, thanks guys for having me on, first of all, Pony and, and Plague. Uh, you know, I could say the same things about you all. I, you know, Pony, you and I haven't worked out too much together because you're usually east. But if I do travel east, right. I, I get the pleasure of um, – I think the, the first time I got to work out with you, we were kicking balls around uh, at UNO, I think. And I thought you were a, a new guy when I first met you. And that's yeah. that's how infrequently I got down there. It's just and the Plague, youthful exuberance, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um so yeah, so Plague, I think, um, you know, you've had a huge impact on me. You know, I think one of the things, and you you brought this up, that was really helpful within F3 was to get me through um, the the 2020 year of the pandemic. Um, but we can, obviously, we'll talk about that. My first workout, actually, the curse brought me. And I had, I had worked out for, I mean, I really hadn't ever stopped from high school through college. My, my wife, who was my fiance at the time, um, I was 20. It was a summer before, it was a summer after I graduated from undergrad and uh, she wanted to run the Chicago marathon with her dad. And so I, I said, well, I can do this. I, you know, I can, I can run. Sure. And so I did. And that was kind of my foray into sort of the long-term really transition. I had never liked to run before. Hmm. Um, and then throughout the years, I found it really therapeutic and, and have been able to kind of piggyback on a, on guys that are doing it often. And then, then it, it gets to a point where as, as you've seen plague, it's sort of, there is this period of time where running and doing hard things, um, you can get to a spot where it's almost meditative, uh, and your, and your thoughts just sort of come out and you need to exercise your thoughts just like your body. And so that was, you know, I did that for a lot of years, but I was getting, getting older, you know, getting in my late thirties and I had to transition to more like sort of body resistance or like resistance training. I, I had to focus on that more. And so I was going to the gym and, uh, there was a buddy that I have run with, uh, around Zerinsky 
every Tuesday. And I still do to this day. I rarely go to F3 workouts on Tuesday because he and I have kind of a uh, time and place that we always that we always run. Well, we were running around Zerinsky. He lives by Zerinsky. And I saw the curse um, with a whole bunch of guys. And we would see a whole bunch of guys. Uh, and uh, I saw him there. And I said, hey, well, Mike, what's going on? And he goes, and he's you know out of breath. So we don't have a long conversation. He said, hey, hey, Chris, how are you? And um, and then he goes his way. And I saw him at a parish thing about a week later. And I asked him about it. What was he doing? And um, and he said, well, we've got this men's workout group and um, it's called F3. And we just do hard things in the morning uh, in the dark. And I said, okay, well, when are you going next? And uh, And so he, so that was, I think on a Monday or Sunday night, must have been on a Saturday night because it was like a, a, it was again, 2020. So we had to have, in, instead of having like at the parish, right at the kid's school outside, nothing could be done in conjunction with social things within the parish. And again, don't get me started on that because it, it, the, the way that they behaved was a disaster and it's still trickling through, unfortunately. But, mm-hmm. but the bottom line is that the neighborhood that I live in is right around the parish. And that neighborhood said, look, we're going to still do something. We're going to be safe, quote unquote, safe about it. So we'll be outside. And this was in September. It must have been late September. And it was great. And so I saw him there uh, and then he, he EH'd me. And, uh, and so I met him and the, the first work I met him with was at uh, Paradise. So, um, which I, I know, Plague, that was your, uh, your site, right? You were the first. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. Yeah. 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 So, no, wait, um, wait time really went out on a limb letting me launch that one. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure. Well, letting you do anything, you're sort of going out on a limb. <laughs> yep. Um, but we the, actually I just got the, approval for this podcast. So yeah. <laughs> like two years. Did you really? No. From the, yeah. uh, the official no. approval? <laughs> no. We're still, we're, we're still flying under the radar, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wait until, wait until you start asking for sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no more. No yeah. more. So I uh, yeah, so uh that was my first one and it it's kind of cool to go back. I I recently went back and watched it cuz I'm coming up on my 3rd year. And uh so I watched that just to see who was there and like all those guys, almost every single one of those guys that was at that first uh my first workout were are still there right now. They're still That's awesome. and, and they're not just like occasionally there. I mean, they're they're always somewhere. Well, give so, us yeah, some context. Real, give us some context. What, are we in the height of the pandemic? What does the structure of the workout actually look like? Are we being, you know, yeah. quote unquote safe? Yeah, that's interesting. So, so we had, so we were still, we weren't bumping fists yet. Okay, we were. <laughs> everybody was kind of tapping shoes. Okay. Uh, so I remember actually, I vi- I remember seeing that. I wouldn't have remembered that off the top of my head, but I remember seeing that because I just rewatched it. And um, so they were tapping shoes and. Uh, and I think we were kneeling in prayer. So we were kneeling in prayer, not ball of manning it. Um, and it was still, there was still a lot of, I would say a lot of people who were like very different in terms of their approach, you know? So, you, so I didn't, you know, on that run, I, I know I didn't really get too deep with anybody else, but I was hooked. Like I was that first time I was, I was like, I came home and I told my wife, I said, um, I said, you know, I'll go back. Uh, I probably won't ever lead a workout and I probably won't ever be a, uh, a leader at a place. I didn't, you know, I didn't know it was site queue or any that kind of stuff, but, but I'll go back. And so then, you know, as everybody, you know, you start a couple times a week and my next one was, um, I think the next time I went back was for a Murph. So I went back to Red Wing the next wing, the next week. And then, you know, I sort of established, 
Paradise Island was my, was, you know, I was going to be there every week. And then Thursday was Battlefield. And then Monday was, um, was Red Wing and Friday very quickly became Combine. So I went from like a couple, uh, a couple times a week to like a full schedule. And then mm. yeah, I would do Oracle on the, on the weekends, but Tuesday obviously was my, my day off, uh, with F3. So yeah, that's how I started. And it, it hooked me pretty quick. And, and I think the reason it hooked me pony was cause you know, I, I was the running buddies that I was with before they really fractured during, during COVID, you know, there yeah. was, um, I was probably the most skeptical, um, and the most, uh, dur during COVID, I was the most skeptical of that core group, not the guy I run with on Tuesdays, but I had another group of buddies that we'd run a couple times a week and, and, fr and COVID really fractured that in, in a lot of ways yeah. where, um, it wasn't just about, uh, like people taking a different approach. Some of it was fear. Some of it was just that, um, there was just this uncertainty, you know, there was a, um, a family medicine doc that was in it, a psychologist, a lawyer, me, uh, and, um, yeah, there's a lot that you could gain from. I love those guys still. And, and we still get out and do like advent runs, but, yeah. but during COVID it really kind of separated all of our, um, our stuff. So whenever you came in for that first workout, did you see some of the same fractured, I guess, viewpoints on, on that particular oh, yeah. issue? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know about the first workout, but, um, but I remember having a conversation with, uh, I won't, I, I, I'll leave his name out of it because I'm not sure if he feels this way still, but I remember, so I, I really got, um, close. I, I don't know when this was plague, but, um, but there was sort of this time period in that first winter where, uh, I would say it had to be like January, February, um, where you and I were doing a lot of pre-runs together, um, pantyhose and then Chucky were doing a lot of pre-runs together. And so it was almost like, uh, once I found that it's like, wow, okay, these guys are totally like, I had no idea that they thought the way I thought, mm -hmm. uh, I had no idea that their, their approach was the way it was. Um, so that really kind of was the glue that, that stuck me for sure. But then I remember re like quickly after that, I had a conversation with a guy who's a Redwood and I have a ton of respect for. Him. And it was just completely diametrically opposed to, to the conversation that, to the position that I had taken and the guys that I had gotten close with, um, our, our thoughts on, on the matter. And, hmm. um, and I was just like, wow, whoa. You know, like, let me dig in and, and think about and like, listen to what you said. And, and that was great, too, because most of the people, Pony, that I, I feel like within F3, the, the maybe the thought process is maybe to get more information, you know, and there is like, let me try to understand this person where they're coming from. And some of that is you, you want to, you know, a lot of us are just quick to give you our opinion. You know, I'm sure. like that in a lot of ways. Um, but then to just step back and say, well, why do you think that? And there is time to do that. And you don't have to win. You don't have to win an argument. You're just trying to get an understanding about somebody that's been really helpful for me. Yeah. yeah. And do you think that was just a byproduct of being part of a larger group that F3 is? Do you think it's something innate within the group that you just weren't able to do with, I guess, your closer, tighter group circle that you were previously running with? 
Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that. I think. I think that I'm, I'm not. I don't want to throw the previous group under the bus. That's not what I meant. I just think that for whatever reason, I, for whatever reason, we just we just went our different ways, our separate right. ways. And so hmm. there was there was something common holding us together, but um, we had never stated what it was. We had never defined what it was. We didn't repeat what it was. And so there was something there, but when things changed a little bit, then it was easy to walk away, right? And I think that's one of the, the advantages of F3. It's like, this is who we are. This is what we stand for. These are our principles. And as long as, as you know that, um, then I think it, it, can, it can kind of, you can have differences of opinions. You can have, like you, I know what we're doing here. I know that I'm gonna disagree with people and, um, and it's not that it's okay. It's just that I can disagree with people because, because our, the reason I'm here isn't because I agree with you. The reason I'm here is because I have this common purpose because I believe in the mission and I believe in the, you know, in the, in the goals, in the core principles. So I think that's probably what the difference is. Yeah. Were you doing, um, Q source with, with that first paradise? Was that early on in your journey that you participated in that? Um, a little bit, a okay. little bit. I know a lot of guys. Um, a lot of guys. I, I think Q source is really helpful. Um, I find my so Q source for me, where I find a lot of that value is the pre runs. Mm -hmm. You know, I, as we get as we get later and later in the morning, it becomes harder and harder for me to stick around. Mm -hmm. uh, so the pre runs were where I was getting a lot of the Q source. Well, that's where I think the glue came in for me. Yeah, no, I, I, part of why I was asking because I I feel like. You know, there's a topic in there on persuasion where they, he, he says, you know, argument, you know, healthy argument is, is necessary for persuasion as opposed to, I think he calls it compulsive chicanery or bullying. Um, and dur during that time, right, there weren't many places, at least for me, outside of F3 where you could have a, like, just an argument, just a normal, like, I don't think the same way you do, right? <laughs> right. There, there was a whole lot of compulsive chicanery going on to say this is the way it is. Um, and so, you know, I just was curious if you had exposure to that before we get too far, uh, just briefly, you got in the circle and you, and what did you tell him that, that landed us on the name cataract? Oh, that's easy. You know, I said, yeah. well, I'm an optometrist, you know, I'm an yeah. eye doctor. And, yeah. uh, and then, you know, I, I didn't like it at first. I think a lot of, it's like, um, it was just this classic example of what people think eye doctors are, right. They just yeah. throw out words of, I, you know. And you're kind of like, ah, oh, I'm more than that, you know, but, yeah. um, that doesn't, that's not just me. I mean, it's a large part of me. Don't get me wrong. Um, there's nothing I would rather do. I love what I do, but you know, like everybody, they don't really like it at first. And now yeah. it's like, I love this name. Like I yeah. could, I, you couldn't call me anything else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's it. It's easy. There was no, you know, there's no like, like 4d chess going on. Yeah. I love my favorite of the names where, where a guy's, a guy says something and there's three or four ways to get there. And then they get this name that they hate, but they wind up, it's like a great name for them. Yeah. yeah you could have called you blurry vision or some, what's your, what would be your favorite? Uh, I don't eye know. Condition? Do you, do you I don't know. One? No, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what it would have been. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have wanted to pick my own name, but yeah. it's just sort of, sort of cool how it sticks, you know, like you can't pick your own name. Uh, it's not, it's, it, it's probably not going to be a name you like, but mm -hmm. when you embrace it, 
uh, eventually just becomes part of you. And that's, yeah. and that's what I, happens. I love the guys that come in with their own thought of what their name should be. And yes. it's nothing like that. And they feel a little defeated. And then you see them a month or two later and they're fully embracing what they got. So yeah, yeah love we, that. we named a guy ogre this morning and a uh, little borderline, <laughs> he, he was a taller, bigger guy. And I'm like, well, that's not very creative. So anyway, but yeah. So, so cataracts, as you're going through this, really the, I, I kind of heard you say there, the running was kind of the glue, the running and the, and the conversations there, anything else that you feel like, um, from a second F perspective, I mean, I, you know, you, I guess something I've noticed about you is you, you're you're not shy, right? So you're like, you're going to start a conversation or when somebody asks you a question, you're going to have a response. So I guess, um, I don't know, how did you go about building other relationships? Cause I see you really well networked throughout the group now. Well, I think, um, I think that's just it. I mean, the pre-runs, I, 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 um, at first I went to a lot of different places. I went to a lot of different sites to sort of try them out. And so I think in a lot of ways that, um, that gave me exposure to people. And I was just, I didn't, I didn't have a, like you said, I, I don't mind talking about stuff. I, I like to, I'm naturally like to talk to people and ask them about what's going on, which is why it's weird when I'm on podcasts like this, that people are asking me questions. I usually will try to flip it around and, and take over because I'm used to that. But no, I, I, um, so I like to, I like to say my opinion, but I like to try to figure out what people are thinking and why they think the stuff they think. And especially if I, I can figure out when people um like why they might think something that isn't necessarily well thought out you know mm. and i like to because because it, it really not because it makes me like feel like i've exposed them or something like that or i win the argument it's because um all of a sudden it, it helps me get give perspective on like well what am i thinking about what do i believe that i don't know very much about, or mm -hmm. I believe it, that isn't true, you know? So, so then, then, then we can kind of go into, into some of that. And sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll have conversations with people and, um, and often, you know, and I'm like, wow, I, I didn't think about it like that. You know, I still, I mean, most time I still believe what I believe, but, um, but like, I didn't think about that aspect of it. And so that's what has always been helpful. And then, so that builds, like, I think when you're just honest with people and you have real conversations with them, um, then that builds relationships. You know, one of the things I'm not very good at plague is having like what I would call like, um, and I'm not, actually, I wish I was better at this, but just sort of having like fun conversations, you know, who's really good at that. Like truly you can talk to truly about, um, real things, but like getting him off, uh, you know, getting him off, like the fun truly is really hard to do. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so like, I wish I was better at that. You know, Chucky's yeah. the same way. Like Chucky can just go in and BS with a, with a group of guys and, and you're going to like him and he's, and he's going to be super fun. But like for cataracts, uh, if, if I'm having a conversation where it's just BS for more than five minutes, I'm, I can't do it. I, I, it's not that I'm bored with it. I just can't do it. And that's a detriment because people don't always want to have those conversations. Hmm. So anyway, I think, I think that's yeah. how I, that's how I got to know a lot of people. That's, just that's we get along. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I do get bored with it. I'm like, okay, let's go deeper here. What's going on? How's life? Give me the, give me some, yeah. So, you know, give me something that I can, uh, cause I feel like I want to help. Right. And like, if you want to learn about football or, you know, sports or even 
business stuff, like the stock He's market. Not your guy. I'm not your guy, <laughs> right? But if you want to, if you are an, an addict and you're having a hard time, or you want to talk about, uh, you know, sort of purpose and identity and how you, you know, those are the conversations I want to have. It is tough. I, I appreciate that you noticed that. I, another question I had for you because this is sort of early on wait time. And I would always talk about this because he was EHing a lot of people from the hospital and it seemed like it was really challenging to get physicians to come out. Mm. And so kind of just want to curious if there's anything to do with like what your thoughts would be like, what is the barrier there? Is there like some other brotherhood of, you know, physicians that, that is, you know, filling the gap or um, secret society that we're not yeah. part of. I don't know. No, I, yeah, I'm. I don't know. I mean, you know, I have to tell you that my my perspective um, is kind of jaded a little bit in that that what I've learned is that a lot of this comes down to uh, if 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 you're like I'm, I'm an optometrist, I'm a, a doctor of optometry, um, so uh, I think it comes down to what like are you a like a lot of it is do you own your practice? You know, do you own your practice? Um, I think there's a different mentality of guys who own their practices versus guys that are employed uh, with all types of physicians. Uh, and then that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, do you think that everybody's your competitor? And I think a lot of physicians think that everybody's their competitor. They, they think that, you know, they're expert in everything, uh, which I, I find myself in a lot of ways um, – gravitating to that sort of thinking. And I try to pull myself away from that whenever I catch it. But we think we're expert in everything because we're really good at one thing. Um, and we think that, I think a lot of ways we can think that people are competitors. And, and so, um, I've never looked at that, looked at things like that, you know, for the most part, unless, you know, there are some situations where, um, I feel like, uh, people, and I, we could talk about those if they come up, but people have like really, um, been intentionally uh like had malice toward me that's a different story yep. um but my belief is by and large that if i provide really good care and i help you provide really good care then patients are going to do better and the and the perception is elevated across the board and that's that's largely been what i've thought about when i look about look at the eye care community in general um and uh but that's not how most people think. But mm -hmm. Unfortunately, most physicians, I don't think, think that way. So there's sort of these silos. There, there's these silos of expertise. And I think in a lot of ways, we've seen that, you know, we've seen that uncovered uh, over the last three years. It's like, well, so-and-so says this, they're the authority on this specific topic. So I'm going to listen to them. Hmm. Uh, we expect that all of our physicians are going to like read deeply about all the things that they, they recommend and they, and they think. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, that's not necessarily the case. So I don't know. I, I, I think it's a number of things. I think one, I own, I own businesses. Uh, and two, I, I rely on a lot of other people in general to bounce ideas off of. And that's what brought me in. Um, yeah, but I guess that was going to be my question. Going back to your first point, what do you think is, what distinguishes an employee versus a, a, a person that owns their own practice? What do you think it is there that creates the distinction? I think it's a lot about um it's a lot about recognition of um like uh, some of it's hustle right some of it is like 
I, I'm out here and I've got to make this work because if I can't, if I don't make this work, then the people who are working uh, on my team, they don't have jobs anymore. And then I lose my livelihood as opposed to like, I can come into work and then I can do whatever I'm going to do, but I've got this big infrastructure over the top of me. So I can't really mess up if I need a, if I need a, uh, you know, a, a consult, it's right down the hall. Uh, I'm following all of these guidelines. I don't really need to worry about, do they make sense or not? They must make sense because somebody else um, with authority has, has developed them. I think that this pony is making me sound like I'm anti-physician. I'm not. <laughs> no, no, I'm no. just. I'm just trying to make the distinction of why I think that's the case. I think you know, if you look at there was actually a lot of. Um, I mean, we're, I, I wasn't thinking we were going to talk about the pandemic as much as we are, but early on in the pandemic, when you looked at um, like surveys about what physicians thought, like dentists, optometrists, medical doctors, uh, what they thought about what. Um, like what we should be doing, it was almost always like shut down, don't shut down. If you ask that question, if your paycheck was or the livelihood of your practice was dependent on not shutting down, you didn't want to shut down. And if it was not dependent on that, then you wanted to shut down. So, so if you looked at it across the board, almost it was like the employed, the employed doctors were like, shut it down. I'm not going to see patients. And, and I even saw that within, within our microcosm of like, um, not just my practice, but other practices that had a lot of, of clinicians, a lot, a lot of physicians in them where, uh, I, I remember I was on the, on a train, uh, in Atlanta. So in the airport in Atlanta, and I, I was just leaving, a, a conference and this, this doc, who's a surgeon in Western, um, sorry, Eastern, uh, Iowa. And he said, he said to me, this was 2021. He goes, he goes, um, none of the optometrists in our group were, uh, were seeing patients during the pandemic. And so I had to see all the patients in the, in the pandemic during the pandemic. And so we, we started talking, uh, you know, cause we were walking to this toward the same gate. We started talking and, and it, it can't, you know, what I understood was that the partners in the group, you know, what I got from him was the people who had a vested interest in paying people's bills and keeping the lights on. And then they, they kept seeing patients the whole time. You know, they, they took it not because they were trying to generate revenue, but one, they, they had to support the patients that were around. And, um, and then they, um, so they, they had no other choice. And then the, the employed docs were able to kind of sit back and like, well, you know, it's not an emergency or urgency. I'm not going to see them. And there's not that many people coming in. So here you go. You can see that all the, you can be on call. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. That yeah. doesn't answer your question very well, but that's just my, that's just my, my, my thoughts about why that's the case. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think, you know, I guess I just want to go back. So th this is, you know, sort of a trend, right? We just, in our group, we, we have a ton of lawyers, <laughs> You know, because I think most of them don't really go to work till like 10 or 11. And then um, that's if they're not playing golf that day. Just kidding, sure. Tony. Yeah. Uh, but, but or they're, if they're talking about a case and then they're billing it too in the gloom, right? Yeah. yeah. Tony, is that what I'm happens? billing you guys right now. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure you are. So, but then, but we just, I've always noticed like we don't have a ton of physicians and there seems to be this, they're like, I don't, I don't need, I don't need a group of guys. So I guess my question for you really is more on this angle of like, male relationships and maybe how, you know, as you form those, which it sounds like you've done, how has that benefited you or what sort of changes have you maybe seen um, from the relationships you've developed in the gloom? Yeah, I think, I think as a, as a father, I'm, I'm more, um, I'm calmer 
you know, I, I don't, I don't, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, I've thought about this story and it's one that sticks in my mind. And it's one I think that my kids are probably always going to remember and it's not a good one. Um, but, uh, in 2017, um, I left a, a company I was a partner in a, a consulting company, a lecture company. And, um, and I wasn't, you know, I was super stressed out because I wanted to, I wanted to do my own thing. And I thought, okay, these people are friends that I've been, have had for, you know, almost 10 years, they're friends and they're partners and it'll be all okay. <clears throat> but I remember, um, I remember, uh, one thing happened as soon as the, the ink was dry on the contract I mean, not, it wasn't even dry on the contract when I left, uh, and I sold my portions they immediately did something that was, was something you would not do as a friend. You would do it as a business competitor. You would do it as a, you know, but you wouldn't do it as a friend. You would, especially cause you didn't need to. And, and I viewed that as like, I was, uh, I can't tell you. So that kind of started this two years of like high stress. I didn't trust anybody. Um, like people that I thought was like, were, were really friends and people in the profession, in my profession that I thought were friends, like I was skeptical of everybody. Mm. I was thinking everybody was there to, to stab me in the back. I was thinking that everybody was there to get one up on me. I mean, it was, it was bad. Like mentally I was in a horrible place. It was about two years. It was before F3 that, uh, you know, so, so from a business standpoint over those to two years, I, I was, I, the exponential growth in terms of success was astounding. But, um, but in terms of like internally uh, and who I trusted and what I could get, like what I saw in other relationships was, I mean, it was horrible. It was horrible. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think it was very close to that time. So in 2017, I think it was very close to that time when that occurred. And I remember coming downstairs in the basement and I remember um, I had asked the kids to pick up and uh, they hadn't picked up. And I lost my, I mean, I lost my mind and I was, I was yelling and I was screaming and there was this like plastic little tykes, um, railroad track in the middle of the floor and it had this wooden, you know, topper on it. And I, and I smashed it, you know, I, I stomped on it and broke it. And, um, you know, my kids were distraught. I mean, totally distraught. I would never touch my kids. I never touched them. Um, I, you know, it was never a threat to them in that sense, but like, I always think about that and I'll never, they'll always remember that. They'll mm. always remember that about dad. Like dad lost his, you know, they, yeah. and, and yeah. uh, and so how many kids point, did you have at that point? Sorry. At just that, yeah. At that point, it must've been, um, we probably had just had our seventh. Okay. Maybe we had just had our seventh, maybe like five or six months before that. And, um, and I, and, and so like at that time, like I talked to my wife and she knew about it. She was, she was upstairs. Um, and so she, you know, she was just like, I can't remember exactly what she said, but it's like, that can't happen again. And I knew that that can't happen again. But, but through that, through that next couple years, um, I still, you know, that, that trust was gone. Uh, I, I felt inside like, man, like I, I am, I'm always on edge. I'm always, so I think that's the thing uh, to to say is that, you know, that 2020, um, same sort of thing, like in 2019, some other things happened that sort of bringing that trust back. Um, and then 2020 um, is the same thing. It's like, I, you know, what's going on here? Now I don't trust our institutions. And so, but I find, I find that like, I don't have to, like, I, I don't have to even like 
worry. I like feel like I'm holding back like anger. You know what I mean? Like I ha- having a bunch of guys that that I can relate to and we can talk about things that are important. I can listen to what they've got going on and get perspective for myself. I just don't feel like I have this like boy, I got to I'm going to blow up right now or start yelling at somebody yeah. for something. It's just not even not even to that level of like smashing a kid's toy. I hadn't been there for for three years after that, but I, but there were times where I'd be, you know, I'd be like, come on, you know, you just get mad. I just don't have that feeling anymore. I don't have that tendency to do it. So I think guys have to have sort of this, you got to have male relationships where you're doing difficult things and you're challenging each other and you're accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, there's probably a lot of things that I've been able to work through with guys before I, now, before I just let them you know, completely, uh, top off. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's su- just so important. Well, so, so you tell the story about with your kids and stuff. I am curious the impact that it's had on, on them. Um, I guess since you've joined F3, you know, you're, you're talking about how you've internalized things better and you're in a better place. How do you feel that they see it? Uh, I should ask them. <laughs> I should ask them, you know, um, I think my kids, I think my kids, um, especially my, my middle ones, I think that they, um, they see me, they see, they see me for who I am. I think they see that, um, I'm a hard worker. I think they, there's no question that they know I love them. Um, but I don't know. I should ask them if they, if they see a change. My mind just goes to, I don't know. How do you you think kids are that perspective or like that receptive of, those types of things. Well, I'm curious how you get how you get input from nine kids. Do you send out a survey, or you know, how, how do you how do you do that? Wait, say that again. <laughs> I'm curious how how you get feedback from from nine kids. If you, do you send out a survey, or do you no. have you know one on one meetings? Or I do. Well, I, I think it's important because <laughs> one of the things that I. So you are my family, Georgia, my daughter will always say like, do you still know that guy that's got nine kids? And I have to tell her there's two of them now, right? Because Splinter. Uh, yeah, Splinter and, has nine now? Yeah. I've worked out with him for a while. Splinter and cataracts. But cool. um, I'm just always amazed. Like, I'm, I'm like, I am losing my mind and I've got two kids. And so then you've always, every time I see you, I'm just like, okay, this guy's calm and has it together and he's got nine. So I have nothing to, to worry about. But um, yeah, we all have so, our own stuff, you know, you know, play. Yeah. I think, um, I think just understanding that about other people is really helpful. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think in a lot of ways, um, I, it's going to sound bad, but I do care about what my kids think of me. Right. Yeah. I do want to, I do care. I want them to look at dad as being like, you know, a. uh, a loving dad, um, a faithful dad, a good husband. Can I, can I say that, that I am those things confidently? Yeah, I can. And I I think I can kind of project that. So I'm not worried if my, if my kids see that, you know? Um, but I also don't think that my, uh, my status as a man or my like success as a man is really dependent on what my kids think of me necessarily by the time I'm 30. Like, like, if I'm doing the right things, they're going to think the right things. And if they don't, and I've done the right things, then, you know, it's probably on me a little bit because like, I probably didn't raise them to think about what is, 
um, important if I really am truly doing the right stuff. But where I see people have problems is they put too much stock in like what their kids think about them. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I want to live, I want to give them good messages. I want to live the way that I think is the best way to live, um, through my faith and, and through, uh, through how we teach our kids growing up. And if they make the wrong decisions, um, I'm going to be sad for them. Uh, if they make those wrong decisions and they think dad's an asshole because, you know, he, he thinks that, you know, men and women are a thing, uh, then, okay. I mean, that, that's good. That could happen. Um, so I don't know. I mean, that I'm not trying to be flip about that. I, I just think you got to live by example. I was not a good example five years ago. Um, I guess it's six years ago now. I wasn't a good example at that time. And there's times where I'm not a good example, but I think by and large, if you ask my kids, I think that um, I'm a good example. I think that they know how much I love them, and um, and I think that's what you can do. Yeah. Now my older yeah, kids, I I, like like Diablo, you know Diablo. He's, he's been out before. Yeah. Yeah. He. Um, I've been able to have. I, it's been fun because I've been able to have more deep conversations with him recently, and uh, and and kind of take an active role in encouraging him, like blatantly encouraging him. Uh, which mm-hmm. has been fun to see him grow and take and take up stuff. And I look at them and I, I think the same thing. It's like, I'm, maybe I must have done something right, you know, with Ryan and, and Lincoln. You know, they're old enough now that they can make the right and wrong choices. They can make choices that they're making choices that I like good choices where I wasn't making necessarily good choices at their age. Not bad choices, but so I, I look back and I think like, that's what I want. That's what I care about. I, I don't really, I mean, I do care that they, that, how they think of me. But really what I want is them to be like, if they're good, successful people and I've done a good job of showing them I love them, then they'll think okay of me, right? Yeah. I think, I think. You know, this, I think you're spot on, Cataracts. And I, and I guess I, I feel like fundamentally in, in this, we've kind of been touching on this this thing, right? Of like, we, we as men, the, the way we sort of get away from sad clown syndrome is is by, you know, developing standards and, and working diligently to live up to them and hold each other accountable to them and not by seeking acceptance and approval from all these other people. Right. And, and so I think whether it's, whether yeah. you're talking about a pandemic or, or our kids, right. I mean, I think it's, you know, um, Meg Meeker is a, an author has written several books about parenting and, and she always says, you know, that your, your kids want to see how, um, you know, how much you'll fight, right. For the things that you know are, are important and not, mm. Uh, not necessarily like giving in to them all the time, right? That doesn't serve them well in their life. So I think you, you know, I, I'm really encouraged. That's by what interesting. You said there. No, that well, that's encouraging think, to me too. Yeah, that, that another author has identified that. I didn't read that, but I think that's interesting. Well, and you're talking about this concept of, you know, I think a lot of parents, especially dads, and I do it myself, is beat myself up over trying to lead by example, and I'm falling short for those things. And I like this idea of just holding yourself accountable to some standards, and then you have to apply some level of grace knowing that you're going to fall short. And Mm -hmm. that's okay. I'm not looking for my kids to accept me for being this perfect model, but know that I am striving for these things that I I do think are important. Um, I guess, you know, question for you as, I mean, I think we can kind of talk about the the third F piece, because I think this is a good piece to talk about how, you know, your relationship with faith and then I guess the impact that it has on your kids and your family too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was thinking about this recently, um, like 
I wish I could do more third F stuff within F3 for sure. Um, we, you know, we have been like the, the painting one. I really, I really wanted to go out and do that. Um, where I was out of town, but it's a bad excuse. I, I need to lean more into the third F stuff within F3, but, but as a family, you know, we, we tried to, um, donate some time. There's a, um, and resources. There's a, a garden downtown at St. Vincent de Paul house that, um, during the summer, we, we go down and we just garden, right? And most of it's like, we're not pulling stuff. We're just watering. We're pulling weeds. We're, you know, doing just, uh, dirty work. And, um, and so that's, that's one that we've been relatively consistent with over the years. Um, and, uh, so things like that are good. I think, you know, from a faith standpoint, um, I, I love, I love to think of, I mean, I love to think about, um, like what happens at the end, you know, I love to think about what, what is heaven? Like, I like to talk to my kids about it, but, but ultimately like, we're very consistent, you know, mom's going to be at mass every week. Dad's going to be at mass every week. Um, and even when it's not convenient, you know, like last week we were coming back from a, a, a tournament, a soccer tournament. So I had my daughter and, and I, um, in Sioux falls and, you know, we missed a Saturday night mass we missed an opportunity for mass in between games on Sunday morning. And as soon as we got back, we went straight from, so we went straight from council bluffs airport, right to mass. Uh, and, and I think that shows pony, I think like, again, um, you know, I think to your point, it shows that there's conviction. There are things that are important and it's, um, and then it has to carry on afterwards, not just something we do and then we're done it's, it has to carry on. I think that's where the third F stuff comes in. And that's why I'm really excited to see like my oldest too, because like, like they are, they'll go to adoration. Like my son will go to adoration a couple times a week. He'll just mm. go up and, and, uh, be with Jesus, you know, be with the Eucharist and the body of Christ. And he just praying. And I'm like, you're, you're a sophomore in high school, dude. What's the problem? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that that's the point is like, they just see that like, and even my wife, she's great about that stuff. Like she'll, she'll go to adoration. Um, and, uh, I wish I could say that I was the only, like I was the leader in the family for our faith, but she's, she's pulling me and I'm, you know, I'm pulling her and it's, uh, it's a good thing. So, um, to, to the extent that we can, that people can look at us and say, Hey, you can have nine kids and they're going to be, you know, it, life is going to be okay. And life is, is not going to really be, I don't think it's that hard. I mean, it's not that hard. It's just not hard. It's fun. Uh, so have more kids, Plague. Have more kids. Uh, you know, it's in the works. In the works. <laughs> yeah. I am curious, did you, so so the common story we hear, right, is, is grew up going to church, went to college, drifted away, and haven't made it back, right? So what does that backstory look like for you? And then my, my other question would be sort of, what could we be doing as fathers to, you know, sort of maybe prevent the the drifting away or, do, or maybe we don't need to, I don't know. I just want to get your thoughts there. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I don't, so I can tell you my story and it was, it's not, it's not dramatic. I mean, it's, um, you know, I, I went, so right out of high school, I went, so we were same thing, you know, my, my, um, we would go to mass every week. Uh, I went to Catholic high school. Um, I, I took my faith pretty seriously. I was never discouraged from questioning things, but I was, um, you know, I, I went through that process in high school of thinking about like, well, it's all kind of relative man and, you know, nothing, nothing, you know, 
well, I, I worship Jesus and God, and that's about the same as worshiping this or that. And maybe it's just, you know, um, and, but, uh, and then I went to, I went to Iowa state for a year. I thought I was going to be an engineer. And then, um, and then I spent my last three years at UNO. And, uh, when I was at Iowa state, it was interesting. Like I felt like a piece of trash, honestly. Um, so I, I was there for about a, uh, well, I went there for a full year and it was the first time in my like young adulthood that I hadn't had a job and I hadn't been contributing to, um, to like my, my growth outside of education. And that was weird to me. Like I had a job Burger King when I was 14 years old <laughs> and, uh, and I had always had a job through high school. And so it was just weird. Uh, and I, what, and was I, your, I, what was your excuse during, I guess, what, what were the circumstances surrounding there? I don't think there was any excuse. I think it was like, you're in college and you don't have to have a job, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the baby. Let the government pay for that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. right. That's right. No, I think that's, I think that's what it was. And, yeah. and so, um, so I felt like I was, I was dr like being a burden, um, and I wasn't going to mass. So there was, there was probably a period of maybe three or four months was I really inconsistent. And then, um, that second semester I started going again. Uh, and then I had, I had enough clarity. Um, I wasn't not going because I didn't think it was important or I didn't think it was, I, and I wasn't walking away from, from the faith. I was just, you know, it was like, I was making my own decisions, but when I went back and as I think about this, this is 20 years ago, as I think about this or longer now, um, it was, it was, I, I had these realizations where like, I can't, I can't be here and not be contributing to my own well-being and contributing to my own education and um and so so it was it was a very quick departure back into or a quick return back into the to the church on a regular basis and then just being consistent with it i think having um having jamie i mean not being afraid to meet somebody early in your life uh and then we grew together like i say this all the time if if i was single at 42 um I, nobody would in their right mind would want to marry me. No way. <laughs> and I wouldn't probably want to marry anybody else. Cause, because, uh, I'm, I'm like such a, a weirdo, right? We're all, I'm kind of like, like, but Jamie, like I looked at her this. So I looked at her this morning. Um, she just got out of bed and she had, you know, um, that's the, this is the other reason that we have nine kids playing is cause she's super hot. Yeah. But I, I looked at her this morning and I was like, she's, she's better looking now than she was when I married her, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and by all like measurable metrics that anybody would probably say is like, like, I think that people would still think that, but like, I totally think that in no question in my mind. Yeah. And, and so there's something like physiologic, something, uh, psychologic. And so I think that's a large part of it too, is I had a very firm relationship with Jamie when I was in, in college and in high school. And she kind of helped, helped guide me when a lot of people would have been floundering. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that was very, very helpful. Or, and, yeah. and I would have, I would have probably taken a whole bunch of wrong turns without her for sure. Well, and don't underestimate, you know, sort of the, like God's power in that too. Right. I think oh, yeah. like, you know, he put you together, you know, like the purpose of marriage, right. Is really to refine us, you know, on both sides of that equation. And I, I, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, marriages that I know of that, that share a, a foundational belief system, you know, and I don't 
necessarily have thoughts on what that should be, but I think that where the husband and wife are on the same page with what they believe in and what those values are, I mean, I really see God working in that space. I mean, certainly for, for my marriage and I know Pony's wife wouldn't be with him if, uh, you know, he's, he's, she's, he certainly has outkicked his coverage too. So I think, it's, you know, the three of us, it sounds like are all, um, in that space. I, I do, you know, I, I definitely, I want to respect your time cataracts, but I also, um, want to get your thoughts on leadership. Cause I see you as just an awesome leader, you know, in your family, the community, Thanks, um, you know, in all sorts of different ways, but just, uh, talk to us a little bit about halfway house maybe, and, and maybe some of the leadership opportunities in, in F3, sort of the, like the mission statement, right? Are we reinvigorating male community leadership? Yeah. Well, I think absolutely. And I think from, from a halfway house standpoint, you know, I, we sort of refine that from 12, the 12 in series, right? So 12 in 21, um, we just ran, so I just ran the, my 32nd in 32 months, half, half wow. marathon. And that's not about me. It's a real testament to Firewalker and to Armbar when they, when they wanted to do 12 in 21, I sort of, it, they were launching from the, the right by my house. And I was like, I'm going, I like to run. This is what I do. And, um, I ran almost that whole first one by myself. I think I came up on TC for a little bit. Anyway, the, I think that, um, you know, it was, like I said, it, I, I told my wife, oh, I'm not going to probably lead a workout and I'm definitely not going to have a, a site to you see, Hey, I, I, I don't, it's not that I, I can do this. I knew I could. It's that I owe it to the rest of the group to take this, to take a role. And I think that's what leadership is a lot about in my mind. It's, it's about service. It's not about, um, it's not about like, Hey guys, come do this. Cause I'm so great. It's about like, how can I serve this group and provide opportunities for guys to, uh, to lead or to get a workout or to have a conversation. And so, um, you know, Contrary maybe to popular belief, Halfway House really, when we developed it, our our mission wasn't just so I think twelve the twelve in series was to kind of give guys an opportunity who wanted to run far to run far. And then after talking to Firewalker, after talking to Armbar, after talking to Slow Pitch, um, and uh, Slow Pitch in a lot of ways, it, it helped me refine this idea of like, no, that's not just what it's about. It's also about giving guys, I mean, obviously fellowship, but giving a guy, guys who didn't ever think they could do it, the opportunity to do it. And, and right now we've got a guy that's, that's uh, the site queue of Halfway House who ran his first half marathon at Halfway House, I think mm-hmm. in March or April. And the guy is like, and Bouncer is just, I mean, he is, uh, this guy, he, he could probably, Bouncer could probably like run half marathons and win. I mean, that's how much potential I see in him in terms of his physical potential, but then also just his ability to connect with guys. Uh, and now I see him taking on this leadership role and doing stuff that, um, that I'm just not as good at, you know, and, and he's better at. And so, uh, I think that's the cool part about F3 is it's almost like this servant leadership where you, you have to do those things, not because everybody's making you do them, but because you owe it to, you owe it to people to serve them. And, yeah. uh, because you, because you've been served by the sites that you can just show up at and somebody's going to tell you what to do and you didn't have to do any thought. And, and, oh, by the way, um, I, now I get to connect with other guys and, and talk to them and be vulnerable, uh, in a way that builds you up and, um, and gives you confidence. Like you owe, you owe somebody for that yeah. and, and, and not like, because people think that you owe it, but, but like, wow, this is what an opportunity to serve them. So, yeah. 
That's what I think. Well, I am it. curious, you know, you being a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you probably thought that you had some good leadership skills going into taking on a site. I'm curious on if you came in and, and realized that wasn't the case or you picked up some things along the way. No, I think I, I'm, I definitely have picked up things along the way. I think um, it's, I've learned a lot more recently about how, I mean, I've learned more that you have to, uh, not not how to do it as well, but you have to, like people have to be motivated um, internally. So how do you get people to be motivated through their own like desires and beliefs? And, um, and I, I think F3 and, and Halfway House has, has taught me that. Like, I can't just be like, hey guys, it's going to be awesome. Come on out. You know, it's like, yeah. well, how do you get them internally motivated? And I, again, I don't know that I'm, I necessarily know how to do that well, but I see that that is a big, a big thing. And from a business standpoint, then, you know, I, I look at what, um, what motivates me and what motivates me in a lot of ways is not what motivates my team. And so how do I, how do I look for things that are motivating to them? Um, again, I don't know the answer to that. I, I like to find those things out, but, um, but I'm working on it. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's taught me a lot. Yeah. I, I have this sneaky suspicion that everybody wants to be a runner. They just have created they've created an identity, right? Like it's something about it is hard oh, or challenging. Identity. We should and do a whole podcast on that. Holy cow. They've told themselves like bubbles. I think if you ask bubbles, he probably still would say he's not a runner, but the dude is a runner, right? He yeah. runs all yeah. the time. So I, I think, you know, one of the things that's been cool is just seeing the the first, right? Like I run my first 10 K and then I run my first half. And then like, at least what, what happens for me is after I learn, I can do it once then it just empowers me to, to do it more. And then it, that transfers to other areas, right? Now I've got the confidence that, wait a minute, this other thing over here in my life that I thought I couldn't do, I bet I could do that too, right? If I put yeah. a plan together. Um, so it's been really cool to watch guys develop through that. Curious, uh, Cataracts, just um, as you're thinking about you know, big picture, your, your journey, any, uh, maybe advice, words of wisdom, uh, that you would, you would share with guys as they're maybe showing up to a workout or maybe they're leading a site. Um, I love what you said about, about servant leadership, but any, anything in that space that you would say, Hey, we, you know, guys should really focus on this. Well, I think, I think bringing it back always, one of the things that, um, actually Gator and I on my podcast this week, uh, iCode media, check it out. Like, and subscribe. The, um, <laughs> No, the, the, to, in all in all honesty, the the so I think it's the um, like really thinking about why you're there. You know, like um, the the core principles, the mission statement. You know, what are we doing? It's not just a workout. What are we doing there? Thinking about that, and if it speaks to you, um, think about how how can you incorporate that stuff. Uh, e- even even like picking up the six. You know, like we leave no man behind. We leave no man where we found him. Uh, I, I, I used to be better at that. I need, I've, I've thought I, I need to do that a little bit more. You know, I need to do that again. Um, so like having opportunities within a workout to make it about the six, right. Make it hard for the guys who want to get after it, but also making it, you know, about the guys that don't think they can do it. And, and also, um, I, you know, figuring out ways to get guys that don't think, I mean, it's the common excuses, right? It's too early. It's too dark. It's too cold. Um, and what I'm not, I'm not in good enough shape. It's those four excuses that always occur. And how do you get those guys that are early on that have come out once 
and uh, and bring them back in like for the second and the third time because I you know once is not enough for some guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and and how do you identify those guys and what buttons they need to push so that they are coming back in the workout? Because it's really hard. I'll tell you, it's really hard. If you were if you were the six, right? If you were the guy that that didn't think they needed to be there, and you're the six, and you got a guy that's just running along next to you, not saying, not not being like, "Hey, you got this, man. You're going to be awesome," right? Just talking to you. It's hard not to come back if that same guy texts you later on. Hey, it was really good to know you, um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to get to know you better. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you want to go next? That's really hard, and and um, that's really hard to turn away from. And so. Um, yeah, I think just providing opportunities to to show men that you don't have to be in the best shape. You don't have to get up early now to get up early tomorrow. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. That That's what I think. That's what I'd give encouragement to. I love it. What about uh, encouragement or prayers for you uh, when we see out there, maybe we're running next to you. What's something we, we should ask you or, or nudge you on or just be praying for? Yeah, I think just, you know, in general, I, I could use, I can always use prayers on um, slowing down a bit. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for for hustling and moving, but uh, I could do a little more reflection on uh, and just enjoyment, not even reflection, just be in the moment, enjoy the moment. Uh, prayers for that would be awesome. Um, and then... I like to, I I just like to play with ideas. So if you ever, if you're ever in the gloom running next to me, um, tell me what you're thinking about. Tell me what's on your mind, the things that excite you and, uh, and ideas that you're working through. I want to work through them with you. That's mm-hmm. what's fun for me. Love that. Awesome. Well, let's, uh, cataracts, man. I just appreciate your time. And we, we probably, we do have a, a short list of guys that we're going to do a second episode with. So I think you've made that list. Thanks, I think, man. Uh, Thank you guys for having me on. It's been great. We could do, do another cast yeah. on, on identity, but let's, uh, we'll wrap it up with a uh, name Rama. Let's do it. All right. Brandon Fleahardy, 37, the plague, the plague. The plague. Ah! <laughs> John, we're 32 pony express. Pony, pony express. express. <laughs> Christopher Wolf, 42. Cataracts. Cataracts. And you do the cry, right? You just... We could do that. Yeah. Boy. If I was if I was flaring, I could do that. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> thanks, awesome. buddy. Well, thanks for your Appreciate time. it. Yeah, See you in the gloom. Man. Yep.